0: He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hid their faces, he was not. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and yet carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughtered, and like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, he considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his heart and soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We've been in a series for the last four weeks. This is the fifth week of the series, and we've titled it Theology of Suffering. And each week we've looked at different pieces of what it means to suffer, what the Bible talks about when it comes to suffering. We've talked about that suffering is not avoidable in this life. It's not an if, but a when for us. Because we live in a fallen world, and because we ourselves are sinful, we will make choices that come with consequences, and there is suffering scattered all over everything. And so, the question has been, what do we do with it? And how do we make sense of it? What does the Bible say about suffering? So tonight, what we're going to look at from this angle of suffering is we're going to specifically look at the centrality of the cross and in the incarnation. Now incarnation is a big word, so I'll just break it down like this. The cross and Jesus, God the Son, becoming man. And you might say, okay, well, what does that have to do with suffering? And I would say it has to do with everything with suffering and the way we experience it, the way we move through it, the way we're comforted during it. And the three points that I'm going to make from that perspective is this, that Christianity is distinct from all other religions when it comes to suffering. Suffering is not meaningless if you're a Christian. And last, that when you are suffering... We believe that you are not alone. So as we look at those, what can we decipher or understand about suffering as we look at those two things? So the first one, Christianity stands separate from all other religions when it comes to suffering. Why is Christianity different from all other religions when it comes to suffering? Think about this. So you may not know a lot about other religions, But if you were to ask someone who um, was a Buddhist or a Muslim or um, a Hindu what do you believe about suffering, they will give you an answer, right? And my guess is you would probably not find their answer very convincing. But here's the one thing they would never say when it comes to suffering. I believe that our God... Because he cared for us so much took on suffering for our sake no other religion in the world has a God who condescended or came down to suffer Christianity is unique that God the universe creator the one through which everything has its being came down and took on flesh and became man. And while he did that, he also did not just become man, but he came down to die on a cross. There is no other God like our God in the world for the religions that Talk about suffering. We know a God who has chosen to suffer and die to be with his creative people. Surely he has borne our griefs. Isaiah 53 that I opened with reading. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It was the will of God to crush him. That's your God. God. Did he deserve to come to this earth and and take on suffering? No, he didn't, right? There was nothing about him that deserved suffering, but he chose to come into you and I's situation and suffer. Uh, A theologian named D.A. Carson says, Christianity is uniquely comforting because only the Christian God plunged into the suffering we experience. There's a poem titled Jesus of the Scars, and the the last line of that poem says, But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Our God has wounds for you and me. In that day, when we finally look into the eyes staring back at us and Jesus, the entire question of our suffering looks and feels from our longings and our limits to our nagging hard thoughts about God and our frustrations with pain, we cannot defeat God's response to this chaos. God takes responsibility. You and I should be taking responsibility, but God takes it himself. Comes forward to deal with the mess and the way that God takes responsibility for our condition is by becoming one of us. Like us. You and I are the ones that deserve suffering. Why is that? Because you and I are the ones who are sinful. You and I are the ones who are not perfect. You and I are the ones who are unrighteous. You and I are not the ones who is righteous. And yet, he takes responsibility for you and me and comes here to suffer for your sake and for mine. Our God has stepped in. He has taken responsibility that you should be taking but never could. He didn't see our sin and death apathetically. Or without compassion. He saw us with compassion. And his compassion and his heart drew him to us. Not to stay up there and say, well, it's too bad. They made a choice and I'm going to leave it to them. No, his compassion that you The deep parts of him said, no, I am going to make a way that they never could by sending my son to die to suffer for them. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And because of that, the Lord has laid on him our sin. Tim Keller says, he knew what it was like to be completely misunderstood by his best friends, rejected by his family his hometown. He was tempted and assaulted by the devil, and amazingly we are told that Jesus learned from what he suffered. He concludes that God, on whom we rely, knows what suffering is is all about, not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by experience. It's not mental knowledge that he knows what suffering is, but by experience, he knows what suffering is. Because he came, took on flesh, and this flesh suffered. He was abandoned in his moment of greatest need. He was denied and betrayed by all people that he poured his life into, and on the cross, he was forsaken by the only person that had never left him, his father. He died. Our God came to suffer and put himself in our place and experience life in this fallen world. 1 Corinthians uh, <clears throat> 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for us we know that the cross which other people would look at and go that's where awful people go to die we look at it as not folly but we see it as the power of god as his son was crucified to us who are being saved By that suffering we know that it's the power of God. To just see the suffering would be short-sighted on the plan of God and the power He has to redeem all suffering for those that are His. What brings us to point two: suffering is not meaningless. Not only is it making Christianity distinct, it's not meaningless. This is great news for us who are Christians in this room. That suffering is not meaningless. Hebrews 2, 14-18 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, children of God. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people or atonement or sacrifice for his people. The greatest act in the history of humanity of suffering, God took and made it the greatest moment for life eternal life for his people. On that cross, the one person who should never suffer suffered unjustly, unfairly, unwarranted. It wasn't fair. And the whole wrath of God was poured out on him in that moment. Suffering that you and I can't even fathom. The greatest moment in human history then became the triumph of God's plan to save his people. That suffering is not meaningless. And neither is the suffering that we go through. Because the suffering that we go through, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose to redeem we, never, we may never understand or know what that looks like. But I believe in a God who is making all things new. That what you meant for evil, God meant for good, as Joseph's story says, right? If there was ever an act of suffering that would cause us to look at it and wonder, it's the cross. Why? How? This can't be. It was at the cross of Christ. But what does the greatest suffering this world has ever produced? It brings sons and daughters to glory. How do we know this? Because of the cross. We see as well Jesus in the garden, (coughs) praying before heading to the cross. He says, and he came out and went as was custom to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then further down it says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And listen to this. This is the suffering, the extent that he was going through in the garden. And sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally. Not only was he exhausted in this moment, but he knew what was coming. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew that he had to suffer for a purpose. You know, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it for our joy and for his joy. Which brings us to point three. In suffering, we will never be alone because Jesus was alone. Hebrews 4 tells us, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands how we speak when we are desperate. He can sympathize with you and me. That man that sat in the garden and sweated blood because Everything in his life was chaotic, and he was exhausted. He can sympathize with you. He can sympathize with you if you've been abandoned, if you've been betrayed, if your own family has cast you out, if people don't understand you, they hate you, they spit on him, rejected him. He can sympathize with you. He lost friends. He can sympathize with you. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with you and with me. The burden of Hebrews 4.15 is the heart of Christ. Yes, verse 16 speaks of the throne of grace, but verse 15 is opening up to us the heart of grace. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, because Christ was left alone, we will never be. We know this from Matthew. The account in Matthew, speaking of the crucifixion, says this about what Jesus said before he died. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani," And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does he mean when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't miss this moment. Forever, Jesus, the Son of God, had perfectly enjoy the goodness of his father. And in this moment, his father turns the goodness of him away. Turns his face away. forsakes him. And instead of receiving the love and goodness of his father, he receives wrath. Punishment. this is a massive moment for us. Because here's what happens in this moment. In Jesus' greatest moment of suffering, God the Father turns away from him and abandons him. In your greatest moment of suffering, he will never do that. Because he did it to Jesus. You are not alone in your suffering. You will never be forsaken in your suffering. Do you realize that you will never experience suffering like that of Jesus on the cross because your God will never forsake you in your greatest moment of need because he did that to Jesus in your place. If you know Christ tonight and are in him, you have a friend, I'm sorry, and <clears throat> you know him, you have a friend in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk to you. You're not going to be in suffering. Your God is not someone that's like, oh, it's okay. Just pull it up. Figure it out. It's going to be good. Just keep going on your way. You're going to do it. That's not our God. That's not your Jesus. No. Instead of just lobbing down some kind of pep talk to you, He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. During your suffering, nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up in yours. He is present. Whether you feel it or not, the truth is he is present in your suffering. And he will always be. Because he can't help himself. He loves us so much. He sympathizes with us. He knows exactly what you and I go through. And He feels it deeply as you feel it. I hope that you can see tonight the beauty of the Savior we have in Jesus. That of God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I hope you were comforted by the fact that Jesus suffers alongside you. If you see why Christianity is different and why it gives the best answer to the question of pain, it should give you hope. So if you question whether your suffering matters, or if you're alone, or if it's at all meaningless, please remember this. God became man, died on a cross, as the greatest suffering this world could have ever seen. And may that be a reminder that you are not alone and that your suffering does matter and does have a purpose. If God can redeem the suffering that happened on the cross, he can redeem the suffering that happens to us. Because we serve a God who redeems even the greatest suffering for his glory and the good of his people. Pray.